thank you for all that you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Let's uh, just deal with the elephant in the room. Yes, it is a tie, and no, it is not a clip-on. Okay, so Cindy got up early today and, uh, you know, matched clothes. So, appreciate that. All right, now, with that out of the way, uh, we can move on. Uh, One of the things I love, love, love about Friendship Church is that we really are one church in two locations. And sometimes we get the opportunity to celebrate what is happening uh, on each other's campuses because it's really happening in our body. And one of the things that's happening today is child dedication. And so just so you're aware of what child dedication is, um, we try to follow the New Testament practice. We saw it with Joseph and Mary when they dedicated Jesus, and in the Old Testament, of course, Samuel is dedicated as well, and we like to dedicate our children to the Lord. It's different than uh, we don't have infant baptism. We don't practice that. We, uh, we specifically practice child dedication. It's to say we're going to do everything we can to help lead this child to the Lord. And so not only are we dedicating them as a step of faith and saying, hey, we're, we're trusting that God is going to be at work in our child and, and, and we want uh, their path to be directed towards God. It's not just that, but it's also for the parents. We recognize that this, this, is, a, uh, uh, this is a long-term commitment, right? Like raising kids is not easy. And uh, so we spend some time dedicating the parents and praying for them as well. Not just that. It's not just for the dedication of the child. It's not just for the dedication of the parents. But it's also for the church. That we too are accepting some responsibility and saying, hey, as a part of this fellowship, we're going to do all we can to love, live, and serve like Jesus. And we're going to do our best to follow the biblical commands and be obedient in faith to follow Jesus and not be a stumbling block to this child or to the parents as we all grow closer in the Lord. So that is happening right now in Prior Lake. And I think we have some pictures of those who, yeah, you can awe if you want to. Uh, Two of you awed? Come on. Aw, there we go. Okay. Yes. Good job. Good try anyways. Um, (laughs) There we go. This kid's doing a cross-eyed face in here. That's so funny. Um, I want you to see those faces because we're in a moment we're going to be praying for them. And again, this is, uh, we want to see God at work. And we want to dedicate these children, these families, and ourselves to the Lord that, uh, that they would grow in the Lord. You may be thinking today, you know what? I think I would like to dedicate my child. Uh, they're, they're not little. They're a little bit bigger. That's okay. Or maybe they are real little. That's fine too. You can talk to me. You can talk to Pastor Nathan. Or you can talk to uh, Christine Jouer, who's also on staff. She would love to talk to you about child dedication and what that means. Again, not salvation, it's a dedication trusting God and his work. Would you join me as we pray? Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you, O Lord, for these families who are saying, we want to be about God's business. 
And right now in Prior Lake, we recognize that there, there are people coming forward. There are people who are saying that they want to follow you with all their heart. They, they want to direct and encourage and empower and equip their children to know you. And yet at the same time, we also know that there is a spiritual piece of this where we need your work. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be at work in these families, uh, at work with the kids, with the parents, and in this church, Lord, that, that we would do all we can to honor you, to reflect you, and to glorify you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you and praise you. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Well, as we said, we like to connect. And with that in mind, Miss Autumn Warden, We've asked you to come forward and tell us how we can connect next week. Something is going on, and we want to know all about it, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> Three. There's, and my family. They were the ones yelling. Are you? You're good? Unmute it. Autumn, come on. <laughs> is it unmuted? Oh, it's turned off now. Hold on. <laughs> Here we go. No, no. <laughs> this is great. How's everybody doing? You feeling? You feeling good? You? Yeah. Yeah. It's because I'm wearing a tie. That's right. That's right. Oh, I see another one coming our way. Thank you so much. Yeah. No, that's okay. Autumn. Hello. Hey. hey. Good morning. Hey, I was actually hoping to come out and come up behind you and just scare you, but <laughs> okay, it didn't happen. Um, hello, my name is Autumn Warden. I am the Connections Director, and next weekend, uh, next Sunday, I want to invite you to plan to spend maybe some time after whichever service you choose to go to, because we are going to have a pie social. And what that means is uh, we want to come together as a church family, and it's getting to be around Thanksgiving time. We want to come together and celebrate, be thankful together, and you will be handed a bingo card. What? Oh, yeah. Thank you. And we, you're going to be encouraged to play bingo and get together um, and connect with other people, to share and be grateful with other people about some things, and there'll be some activities to do on that bingo card. And if you get bingo, you get to put your card in the bucket, to, and your name can be drawn to win a prize. So nice. there will be pie, there will be prizes, there will be praise-ish. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I shouldn't overcommit that. Also, also I heard something about uh, name yeah, tags or yeah, something. Yeah. Tell us about um, that. So we used to do this thing called Name Tag Sunday, and we're bringing it back. So when you come in, we will ask everybody to put a name tag on. So you know that one person that you should know their name, but you forgot it? Because there's only one person, right? Um, Find them next Sunday and just casually strike up a conversation and remember their name. Uh, So there will be Name Tag Sunday as well. Uh, It's going to be a party. And we've been missing hanging out together, and so we want to bring everyone everyone back together and celebrate as a family and we hope you'll join us yeah thank you autumn and i i just again i want to thank your team they do such a great job of greeting people there was 
I, I believe there, was, uh, there were some people, even outside, it's kind of cold today, and some of your team were outside greeting people and welcoming them, even with a smile, which is really hard when it's cold, too. And youth. And youth, yeah. They were, they're young, yeah. so they're out there, yeah. up, they're up early. They yeah. got here. They were here by eight. Yeah. 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 It's a big deal. Thank you, Autumn. Yeah. Really appreciate it. God bless you. And next week, plan on spending a little extra time with us. And I know, I know what you're thinking. I, I can almost hear it really loud. But the Packers, hang on, you guys, okay? Uh, you, you can, you can uh, watch it a little bit later. You can watch highlights. You can, you know, record it, whatever. You'll still get to watch your beloved Packers. Uh, I just wanted to... Man, no one stoned me. I thought for sure, Bill, I was going to get that. Let's get into the word because I think I'm in trouble. Um, We're in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And as as you're turning there, I want to set the stage a little bit. Because I I believe that because of the situation, the the world that we live in, and the flesh (laughs) that we struggle with, There is a reality that we come into these crossroads from time to time. And the crossroad is that of contempt or trust. Will, at at this place, this intersection, will I choose contempt or trust? Contempt is uh, to blame someone. It's to put someone on trial, and specifically I'm talking about God. That we come to these intersections... And now you might be thinking, well, of course, Kenny, uh, out of those options, I'm going to choose to trust God. Well, that may be true when it seems so black and white, but there are other times where it's really difficult, Uh, times in our lives where things sneak into our world that we just don't understand, and we can't put in categories, uh, uh, we can't reason it out. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. And at those intersections of life, it's real easy to put God on trial and to challenge God. Why would you ever do this? The reason I bring that up is because that's going to be a little bit of the direction we go in the next few uh, minutes together in Romans chapter 2. A few years ago, when we were in Cheyenne, we got a phone call from a family. The family had a newborn. The newborn, uh, they were excited about it. It was their second baby. Uh, they were very excited to have this newborn in their home, but something wasn't quite right. The baby just, just something wasn't right. And the mom, mama intuition, she knew it. She went to her doctor, and the doctor said, you need to go down to Children's Hospital in Denver. This is very serious. Sure enough, that was the case. She, they went down to Children's Hospital and they said, not only is this serious, we need to have surgery immediately and, and, and it's risky. Like, it's very risky. This baby is probably not going to make it and, and is definitely not going to make it if we don't do surgery. So the parents, uh, of course, asked for prayer. We began to pray and they had surgery and uh, the, the surgery piece went okay, but the child did not do well throughout the, the surgery. Came, came out and um, the doctor said, we're, we're sorry. You, we can l- allow this baby to be on life support for two days so that you can get the things in order that you need to get in order. We're sorry things did not go well. We gave it everything we could. And this couple calls 
myself and, and another pastor and just says, um, we don't know what God is going to do. We believe that the Lord is going to take our baby home, but we would like to dedicate our baby. Would you come down to Denver and do that, of course? So we went right down. They also asked, okay, afterwards, um, we're going to have to take our child off of life support, and would you just be with us during this time? Friends, I want to tell you, it was awful. It was, I mean, just the, and the anticipation of it from a pastoral perspective, let alone these poor parents who are living it in real time. So we go down there, we dedicate the child, and, and their, their comment was, it was so beautiful. They said, the, the Lord has given us this baby, and we don't know how long we have. It looks like that window is very small, but we want to dedicate this baby to the Lord uh, because this baby is the Lord's. So that's what we did. At the end of the dedication, they started to go through the procedures to take this child off life support. During that time, uh, the auntie that was there starts singing Amazing Grace. Just this beautiful ringing sound throughout this area where people are grieving and hurting. And nurses started coming to the door. Some singing <laughs> under, just under their breath. It was an amazing, holy moment. Throughout our time together, praying for one another, tears, loving one another, hugs. The baby went to be with Jesus. <laughs> the mom looks up and she says, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. She was at that place, that intersection of contempt or trust. And she goes to that place in, in, a, in a way that none of us can explain or have the wisdom to understand. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, I, I've been in similar spots where we just don't understand what God is doing in these places, how God is at work. And sometimes it even feels like the devil is getting some victories, right? We've been there. And it's very tempting to have contempt for God. How dare you? I'm not saying that we can't be honest. I'm not saying that we can't be real. I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask questions even. But to put God on trial and judge him is a dangerous place for us to be. As I look back on those days and think about some similar situations, and people will ask difficult questions to which I, I, it's not always real clear. It's not always black and white. And sometimes there are some, we're assuming some things out of scripture even. Where do we land with that? Well, here's where my heart takes us, takes me, and I would like to share with you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just, do what is right? Will God do what is right? I can land there. Okay, I'm at this intersection, 
Am I going to judge God or am I going to trust God? Won't the God of heaven do what is right? Won't the, the judge of the earth do what is just? Yes is the answer. Yes is the answer. I give that to us because we're about to go into chapter 2. Chapter 2 of Romans is a section that is just based on the, the justice of God. We see uh, the justice of God come out. But there are some pieces throughout this passage, if we isolate it and not look at chapter 1 and 3 around it, we could come to some bad conclusions. We could even think that maybe in our own ignorance we're, uh, we're not guilty of, of sin because we didn't know it was sin. We might go there. We might also go to a place of saying, well, my heart says this, and it's okay. (laughs) My heart's good. We might even go to that place if we just look at this passage outside of the context that's given. But the context around it is this. Jesus is needed for salvation, and we can't do it alone. Paul says it this way in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe the Jew first and then the Gentile. Uh, He says that going into this long stretch, into the chapter 2, as we start to work through chapter 2, we start to see that there is perhaps even some pride that Paul is going to uh, be dealing with in this passage. Now, Admittedly, this section is primarily going to be targeting messianic believers. We are not messianic believers. We generally, I mean, most people here uh, do not have a past in Judaism. So, what we are going to be able to identify is that there are some principles that cross-pollinate, that touch us where we are even today. So let's look at that. We're in Romans chapter 2. And as you turn to Romans chapter 2, I want to identify uh, a few things. The first piece is this. We're going to look at God as the judge. Turns out, God is still God, and I'm still not. Right? Turns out, God is still God, and you're still not. That's going to become very evident in this passage. God is the judge. So what does he judge? Well, in this passage, we'll see that he's judging sin. Uh, He's not just judging sin. He's also judging secrets. So sin is going to be punished. That's what we're about to see. Not just that, but also God knows the secrets of the heart. You ever heard someone say this? Well, you know my heart. I'm like, actually, I don't. Uh, I don't know your heart. I kind of know you, and I I know what I think, uh, even what I believe about you, but I don't know your heart. I don't know where this motivation is coming from. And perhaps it's true that you don't either. But God does. And God is able to rightly divide that, to understand that, and to apply it. We're in chapter 2. Let's go ahead and start in verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So this is, is... not identifying, not saying that we're not guilty of following the law, but rather God has written on each person's heart the law. It's amazing that across cultures, there is no neutral culture when it comes to right and wrong. 
every culture has a sort of a sense of what is good and what is bad. Why is that? Because God wrote that on our hearts. God wrote what is good and what is bad on our hearts. It's not some sort of uh, uh, construct that we've developed, but rather it's something that's internal. That even little kids, you can watch them uh, at a very early age, before they've been taught things like right and wrong uh, at a larger scale, you can see guilt in their eyes. You can sometimes even see shame in their eyes. Why is that? No one taught them that. They learned it because it was written on their hearts. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Uh, Let me just clarify one piece of this. My gospel is not a new gospel or a separate gospel. It's consistent with the idea of the gospel throughout the book of Romans. Uh, identified in chapter 1, where we are debtors uh, to those who do not know God. What are we debtors uh, to do? What do we pay in? That's when Paul comes back and says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Uh, that, that's where that, that gospel is his gospel. For anyone on staff at Friendship Church who has been ordained, they have been ordained to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yep, that's my gospel. Uh, that's your gospel. It's not a different gospel. That's not what Paul is saying in this passage, just so we're, we're clear. And it's specific. We're sinners, need a savior. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He conquered sin and death, rose from the grave, gives life to anybody who called on him. That's the gospel. He's coming again. Let's look to the next section. So uh, not only do we see that Jesus or that God is the judge, but that he's also judging. He's judging the individual. And so uh, for the Jewish individual, the Messianic believer in this, uh, uh, they, they had the Ten Commandments, and they didn't keep the Ten Commandments. They're, they're guilty of that. We're going to see a practice uh, revealed. So the practice is this. You know the truth, You teach the truth, but you don't do the truth. God's going to judge that as well. Not just that, but there's some pride associated with this that God recognizes and is also under his judgment. So let's see it. Starting in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you, when you teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. So 
again, this Jewish nation has uniquely been given the opportunity to steward a relationship with God as seen by the world around them, identifying, wait a minute, there is a God, and that God is good, and I want to know that God, and I want to walk with that God, and I, I want to have a relationship with that God. But Paul is saying, uh, you, you had that, and you take some pride in that, you even go as far to say, I'm a teacher of children. I teach the law. I help people to not walk in darkness, but in the light. And yet, you don't do it. That's a problem. That's a problem. And then this last section, this quote here, I think is really important. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you taken from the Old Testament. The context around this is that Israel has been made captive. So they're, they're slaves in a, in a different place. While they're slaves, the people around them, the nations around them said this, why would I want that God? They're slaves. What, why would I want to be a part of that? I have no interest. Those people uh, are not following their God and because they're not following their God, they've been made to be slaves. Because they have been made to be slaves, and they're saying that he is this wonderful, amazing God, that's hard to believe. I'm not interested. We're going to come back to that a little bit later, kind of underline that and keep it in mind uh, as we move forward. Because not only are we identifying God as the judge, but he's judging, and he's judging some specific things as we've outlined. He's uh, uh, judging the person not just the person, but the practice the person has, and also the pride that's associated with it. Let's keep going. The judged. So in this section, uh, we'll see, okay, the person. If you're a Jew, then practice it all. Do it all, because you're responsible for everything. Not just that, but the people. And it, it's, it's kind of a funny thing. Uh, because Paul is going to give this argument about what, a, what it means to uh, be Jewish in this respect. A real Jew isn't just one outwardly, but also inwardly. That the outward signs should be the sign of something that's going on inside. And therefore, even a heathen, someone who, doesn't, who isn't Jewish, could be a better Jew than someone who is just one outwardly. It's an interesting argument we'll see come out. Uh, also, dealing with the personality, keep the whole Jewish law. And finally, the practices, that it should be about God's rules, not mankind's. Let's look at it. For circumcision, indeed, is of value if you obey the law. Pause there. So circumcision is a sign, uh, an outward sign where skin is cut off. Uh, it, it reminds them that there is a separation from the flesh, a reminder that they're supposed to walk in the spirit and tenderness of the Lord. Uh, that's the idea behind it. it. It was done generally within eight days or on the eighth day um, uh, for the, the Jewish boy. They didn't make the decision, it just happened then. Converts were also supposed to be circumcised. It's one of the reasons that there were many female converts to Judaism and not very many male converts to Judaism because this is not a fun thing to happen when you're an adult. 
So uh, very practically, he's going to put together an argument and to say this, it's not about those signs. It's more important what's going on internally. Continuing on. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps uh, the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? In other words, if someone is willing to follow God, that's more important. It's like even though he's uncircumcised, actually he is circumcised. He is separated uh, from the flesh and is willing to walk uh, in the tenderness with God. Then he will... Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God." So what do, we, what do we see here? What are, what are we trying to say? Well, uh, again, this letter is, uh, this section of the letter is specifically targeting Messianic believers, Jews who have believed Jesus is their Messiah. Well, most of us in this room, probably that doesn't apply to, but in principle, it does. In principle, it does. And that's going to be the challenge as we walk from this place and start to consider communion today. What I'd like to do is walk through some questions with you. I I just want to do it quietly before the Lord, before we really enter into a time of communion and before uh, I start explaining things. So would you do this? Would you just pause right now and just say to God, God, would you give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand? And, and Lord, uh, if, if this applies to me, and as it applies to me, help me to see that. Would you just say a prayer, maybe something like that, before I start asking these questions? The scriptures are very important to us. It's also easy for us to start saying things like, this doesn't apply to me. And we have to be cautious in that because in principle, it applies to us. So let's take a look at this. The first question is this. Have I taught others to do something biblical, but do not do it myself or have not done it myself? Do I teach others? Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's in a classroom. Maybe it's in our life group. The next question. Do I tell others not to steal, yet I steal? Uh, Maybe it's something blatant. Maybe it's personal property type of things. Maybe it's something online. Uh, Maybe uh, maybe even it's an attitude or an arrogance uh, that that we we deserve something that we really don't. Let's look at the next set of questions. Do I tell others not to commit adultery, but I have committed adultery? So, uh, just so that I'm clear, Jesus, he takes the, the act of adultery and he makes it a bigger deal than that. Uh, he says, you know what, if you look at someone and lust, it's the same thing. That's the sin of adultery. Uh, so, do we teach people to do this, uh, to not commit adultery while we're engaged in it? And I'll just say this. 
that if the numbers are true with people who are online, as much as 90% of the guys who are online are involved in internet pornography and as <laughs> the bottom level is 30% of women who are online. If, it, if the numbers are true, many people, the majority of first exposure of pornography is 11 years old. This is a big deal. And it's infecting our culture. Is this true? Do I tell others to abhor idols while worshiping my own idols? Well, what, does, what might that mean? Well, uh, obviously we, we generally in our culture don't have wooden or stone idols that we take out of the closet and start worshiping, but we do worship ourselves. We do put ourselves on the throne from time to time, our wants, our needs, even our habits that would get in the way of actually following Jesus. Is this true? Is it true in, in our lives individually? Next set of questions. Do I tell others to obey the law and not live a disciplined life in following God? What do I mean by that? This is what this means. Following God takes conscious effort in the Spirit. It means that I am choosing to obey God and walk in the Spirit and not the flesh. And sometimes that means that I have to designate times in my day so that I'll spend time in God's Word. So that I can spend time in prayer and fasting. So that I can spend time in memorizing Scripture. It's a discipline. Do I... Tell others to obey. You need to obey. Love others. Love God while I'm not loving others and loving God. To do that means that we have to be disciplined. Finally, and this is a big one, do others blaspheme God because of my testimony? This is what I mean by that. Earlier I gave the example uh, of that quote. Again, Nations looking at Israel who have been exiled and saying, wait a minute, uh, I guess I'm not interested in the type of God whose people are living in slavery. Think of that principle. Do people look at us and say, wait a minute, I don't, I don't think I want to follow Kenny's God because look at the slavery that he lives in. That, whatever that sin is that I've not been getting victory in. It's one thing to follow God and have moments of backsliding. It's another thing to justify our sin and just turn a, a blind eye to it. It's the reason that people will often say, I, the Christians I know are a bunch of hypocrites. Sometimes that's, you know, sometimes that's just an argument to not do what they know is right. But other times... Uh, that there's a reason, and it's actually a real reason. Do others blaspheme God? Why would I follow that person's God when they live under that sort of darkness and are not getting freedom in Christ, are not seeking Jesus for victory? There is no real difference in their world than mine. Is that happening? Now, if you said yes to any of those, here's the good news. Scripture reminds us if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, God 
is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But that means we confess it. It also is a phrase that we like to use called repentance. Repentance means this. It's not just turning away from that sin, but it's a change of mind. What I am doing is not right. This this is against God's best plan. Instead of trusting God, I'm holding God in contempt. I'm convicted that's wrong. Therefore, I'm turning away from that and I'm turning towards God. It is not, okay, well, this isn't working out real well. Maybe instead of, I I don't know, um, instead of taking, uh, instead of drinking alcohol until I'm drunk, uh, maybe I'll just overeat now. Oh, well, maybe I'll just do that. We're just turning into something else. We have to be careful. Repentance is turning away from that sin and turning to God, convinced that that's the right thing to do. As you're taking time to consider this and maybe even some time to confess it, I want to give you some freedom. And the freedom is this, that as we enter into this time of communion, we want to encourage you uh, to first of all consider, am I a believer? Am I really a follower of Jesus? If not, receive Jesus as your Savior. It's not magic. It's not the prayer. It's the step of faith in doing it. It's trusting Jesus. Secondly, is there anything that needs to be examined? Things like we've talked about, but maybe there's something else that came up and you're like, I need to deal with this, deal with it. Confess it. In this room, there are four stations. These stations are based on the sections that you may be sitting in. You can see how they're uh, in uh, basically quadrants. So these two areas would go to this area. Those two areas in the back would go to that area. We would ask you to come down the carpeted areas and then return on the outside to your uh, seats respectively. And then wait, and we'll participate together. So as you take the time before the Lord and feel the freedom of God to move forward, please take both the bread and the cup and return to your seat as we sing this next song together.